Disney Roulette is a movie review podcast in which we discuss, in detail, the movies available on Disney's streaming service. In internet speak, that means, spoiler alert, you've been warned. Also, while Disney films are safe for the whole family to enjoy together, this show is not. Listener discretion is advised. All that said, let's do this shit. Welcome to Disney Plus Roulette, a magical movie review podcast. I'm your host, Kate. And I'm trying my first White Claw. How's it going over there? It's okay. I I don't get the fuss, but it's fine. Yeah, this was also my first White Claw making our drink for this podcast, and I also think it's okay. Happy Pollen Geddon, everybody! I don't know what's happening in the rest of the country, but the trees in Virginia have waged war against us on M. Night Shyamalan levels, basically. So that's fun. Not for my sinuses, it's not. No, I pretty much haven't been able to hear out of my right ear for three days now. It's good times. Trying to think if I have any other exciting news. I don't think so. It's been a pretty slow week. I'm on vacation. Yes. Vacation! I basically have no plans other than to read books, play Animal Crossing... You want to see and, nobody. Yeah, we do want to see nobody. Gotta love good old Bob Odenkirk. I want to see that really bad. Yeah. And other than that, I'm just hanging out with my husband and my dogs. It's pretty good. We're also going to record our other podcast, too, this week. That's true. Yeah. Going to do another recording for I Roll Die. You got anything else? I have nothing major going on in my life. I'm all vaccinated up. I mean, that's a, that's a plus. Yeah, me too. Go get your uh, Fauci-ouchie, everybody. It's important. Yeah. Shall we... Uh, Man, I got like zero transitions today. Your energy is just like rolling down a hill. I'm chill, buddy. I'm on vacation. I got vacation brain. What can I say? All right. Well, if we have nothing else exciting going on, how about we get into the news? Hey, I got no news. (laughs) (laughs) It's a slow news week, but we do have something for the Marvel Minute. It's just a a small blurb. It's not even a minute. It's a second. Things are rolling because we had what people are calling the darkest moment in the Marvel Cinematic History, which is debatable, but as far as morally standard, yeah, I I can agree with that. And I mean, I'm not going to go into spoilers here just, you know, because people don't get to always watch it right away. Or some people, like your dad, are, you know, waiting to get as much as possible before they binge it. So I'm not going to go into those kind of things. But... Coming out of that, I mean, any news is good news at this point, so... Did you say you were talking about Falcon Winter Soldier? Yeah. I don't think you actually said that part out loud. Didn't I? Oh. Well, Falcon Winter Soldier, go watch that, because it's good TV, lots of social commentary. It's taking on racism and some major issues. So, on more light-hearted news, we got a Loki trailer, and it is baller! Yeah, I'm excited. It looks like a lot of fun. It looks like a lot of fun. It makes us think that we're going to get a lot of Loki variants, I'm hoping. I think that's going to be our general plot, I'm hoping. 
And who the big bad is, we don't know. Just like we currently, we're we're four episodes into Falcon Winter Soldier, and we really don't know what the big bad is yet. So Marvel keeps a lot of that pretty uh, tight-lipped, and I'm hoping for some big reveals. Loki is one of those shows, like WandaVision, I think, where Marvel is going to get to play in the sandbox, and that is where they shine. Yeah. I'm super excited. I do have to say about the fourth episode of Falcon Winter Soldier, god damn Sebastian Stan, somebody give that man an enemy. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And honestly, Wyatt Russell is killing it as U.S. agent. No matter what you think of the character itself, the actor is killing it. Yeah. He's playing that piece of shit real good. Real good. And, like, there's a lot to that character. There's some good intent in there. But, man, that dude. Oh, totally. He just can't make the right decision. No. Yeah, it's, otherwise, it's a slow news week for Disney+. Plus. I don't really have anything else to report. But really excited about the Loki trailer and really loving Falcon Winter Soldier a lot. So our movie this week is The Rescuers Down Under, and let's get into some trivia. It was released in 1990 and directed by Hendel Mutoy and Mike Gabriel. I would credit the writers, but there are like six of them. <laughs> so a lot of people involved in the writing process. It was the first 100% digital feature film ever made. The backgrounds and animation were done traditionally, but they were colored, combined, and everything was finalized digitally. Mm. And it was the first animated movie to have fully CG backgrounds. Uh, specifically, the scenes in New York where they're flying through the city yeah. and when they drop into Australia over the Sydney Opera House. Yeah. And you can tell, I mean, it's 90s level technology, but thinking back where we were in the 90s, that's still really amazing. But also, think of how impressive this was in 1990, and then think about the fact that Jurassic Park happened three years later. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Like, I... holy crap, talk about an exponential growth in CGI technology over the course of just three years. Yeah. I mean, and that's the beauty and discouraging thing about technology is its exponential growth. Yeah. I literally just watched a tweet from Meg Turney. She just posted, So uh, Black Mirror is a documentary sent back from the future because NYPD is now using one of those digital dogs. So yeah, FYI, that's a thing. Oh no. No thank you, please. <laughs> uh, so this was the least successful film released during the Disney Renaissance. But guess what else came out on the same day as this movie? Uh, let's see. 1990? I'll give you a hint. It's another John Candy movie. John Candy movie? Mm-hmm. Couldn't have been pla Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That was too early. Yep. Too early. Uncle Buck? Home Alone. Oh, well, Macaulay Culkin, so I got close. So, yeah, this had to go up against Home Alone, which obviously Oof. was like a smash hit. No wonder, because I, I was wondering why I had never seen this before in full. Being a 1990 movie, I was very confused on why I didn't see it because I, I was into all this stuff at that point. But clearly that must have been part of it is that it got just tossed in the box office by Home Alone. Yep. It did so poorly in its first weekend that Jeffrey Katzenberg pulled all TV advertising, Oof. which I'm sure really helped its situation. Right. Wait, <laughs> like, I, hey, what? our movie's not doing. Let's stop advertising it. 
Yeah, I don't get that decision at all. I mean, I know advertising is expensive, but damn. Well, you're not going to do any better without advertising. As an animal nerd, I thought this was interesting. I figured Joanna was some kind of monitor lizard, and I was correct. The type of monitor lizard she is is a Goanna. So she's Joanna the Goanna. Oh. (laughs) Which I really like. (laughs) Okay. Also, originally, McLeach was supposed to get mauled by a pack of dingoes. But they decided that that was too gruesome. But as IMDb pointed out, just a few years later, Scar definitely gets mauled by a bunch of hyenas. So in just a few years, they decided it was fine, I guess. Well, I guess it's the (laughs) difference between an animal versus... And it was off-screen kind of shadowed that Scar got Right, like it's just the shadows. Um, But an animal personified versus a human is a big deal because that like you know even just a kid getting yeah. hurt is a bigger deal than an adult getting hurt yeah my friend watched this with her kids the same week that we did and she said there were multiple moments where she was like don't ask me about the child hanging above all of the crocodiles in the water let's just keep going past that part <laughs> hey. Hey. <laughs> uh and last but not least Katzenberg just really fucking nailing it, man. Clearly. The character of Cody was originally meant to be an aborigine, but Katzenberg insisted that the character be white as it would be more commercial. <sighs> so he's like a piece of shit, right? Like, we're... He sucks. Like, I feel like that was kind of already known, but like, damn, dude. I mean, I could see it being weird. You know, let's take the aboriginal kid and have him locked up in a cage and uh, but his reasoning was completely commercial so yeah funk him right i'm pretty sure his concern was not about the aborigine getting put in a cage and much more about white people not wanting to watch a movie starring an aborigine yeah anywho shall we move on to our drink and try to drink that sadness away so i'm calling this drink the golden eagle obviously. And I knew I wanted some kind of goldish colored drink. And I got to thinking about it. And I was like, oh, we haven't done like a Long Island kind of thing yet. So maybe I'll try making a Long Island of sorts. But I'm fully aware that a Long Island doesn't actually have tea in it. It has a splash of Coke. So it looks like tea. But because we'd never done anything with like a White Claw kind of hard seltzer, I figured I'd merge those two. And we found White Claws that are tea-flavored. So we used a lemon tea White Claw. And I tried making it with the other ingredients that go into a Long Island, and it was not good. No. Gin and White Claw, bad idea. Or at least gin and a tea-flavored White Claw, bad, bad idea. Don't do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's too bitter. So we just went with what tasted better, and now it's not really a Long Island. But from what we had available, we ended up doing... One shot of Bacardi Oakheart rum, one shot of rye whiskey, uh, again we use the Copper Fox, and one can of iced tea, lemon, white claw, and a few drops of lemon juice, and that made it more palatable. Still not the best one we've ever made, but not bad. It's fine. They can't all be golden eagles, let's just put it that way. That's right. Okay, movie time. First thing that super duper excited me, we had the old Disney Castle intro. It wasn't the CGI one. On Disney Plus. On Disney Plus. I don't know if they just changed it for some of the more mainstream movies or what, but I was very excited to see the old castle. Let's talk about this opening scene, though. Yeah, I I was blown away. Uh, okay, so this was kind of 
some of the first integration of CGI, and they fucking just hit the ground running. You just see this little ladybug who's on a little plant, and the ladybug takes off, and then the music comes in and fucking punches you in the face, and you are flying over this field of flowers as these giant rocks are passing you. And it's mostly seamless for being a 1990 movie. Amazingly done. Yeah. And not only do you fly over all these flowers, but then you go in through the window of Cody's room. We pan around Cody sleeping in the hammock. This is animation that we haven't really seen before in a Disney movie at this point. No. We've never really manipulated the camera through a 3D space this way. It's crazy impressive. And if we had, not to this level. Uh, The cinematography in this Disney film honestly blew me away more than almost anything. To put it in nerdy video game terms, like, The Little Mermaid is still a side-scroller, and this movie was like, Hello, I'm Mario 64. Let's explore the sandbox. And you're like, what is happening? This is so cool. And compared to modern movies, it's nothing, but... For the time, it was mind-blowing, and it holds up. Yeah, I mean, even if you go to, like, Tarzan, it blows it away and with its CG and the tree-running sequence and things like that. But for its time, this was that groundbreaking. Yeah, and I gotta talk a little bit about the music, and I'm gonna take a little bit of a gamble here. So the music's done by Bruce Broughton. He is an incredible composer, I don't know. I feel like this movie doesn't get a lot of love, but it's one of my, it's possibly my most favorite Christmas movie. The remake of Miracle on 34th Street that came out in the 90s. (laughs) Your thought train just jumped about six tracks because I'm sitting here looking at it going, this is a Christmas movie? (laughs) Just wait, I'm looping back around. I gotcha, I gotcha. So Bruce Broughton also composed that, and the score in that movie is stunning. But even more appropriate to this movie, he composed the music for Silverado, which is Mm. one of the classic big panorama, just really filling the environment kind of soundtrack to the point where there's like the accompanying soundtrack that's like a little punch you in the face. A la, let's say, Luke Skywalker staring at the moons. Yeah. You know, yeah. the Star Wars swell. It's a bit much John Williams. Tone it down. And now John Williams. Yeah, like it... it I, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. It's John Williams. I'll allow it. All right, but you can't deny that it is distracting. And a little much for that scene. It becomes the scene. Yes, I will do right. that. Is it iconic? Absolutely. Yes, but it overpowers the scene. It's distracting. Okay. This movie, you've got these huge, grand Australian landscapes. It needs that kind of music. This kind of movie actually wants that. Mm -hmm. And Bruce Broughton fucking delivers. Okay, so we're in Cody's room with him. He hears the didgeridoo sound, basically. A little foley for you. That's your didgeridoo impression? That's, That's what I got. Okay. This is obviously some kind of alarm. He goes running out into the woods, and while he's there, he sees some kookaburras, echidnas, wombats, like all the great Australian wildlife that are so cool. Can we take a brief wombat interlude? I mean, we do in the movie. The kind of go-to fun factoid about wombats is that they have square-shaped poop. 
They do. I've seen yes. that. But my favorite factoid that I've learned about a wombat, and I have to thank the wonderful podcast for educating me on this, wombats actually kill predators with their asses. How do they do that, you ask? My eyes are open. What? They will use their back legs to crush the skull of a predator in their burrow. So they will like dive in their burrow, the predator comes in after them, and then they just do this super freaking awesome leg press and crush the skull of the predator on the top of their burrow with their ass. So they literally zenya on a top, those bitches. They what? It's a reference. 007, GoldenEye, the lady who plays Jean Grey in the original X-Men, also played Xenia on a top, and she literally crushes a guy's head with her thighs. Yeah. This is more booty action, but... Oh, okay. Essentially the same thing. Yeah. So, wombats are badasses. The end. Wow. Yeah. So, Cody runs into this clearing, and there's a kangaroo blowing into... It's a log that's kind of formed a didgeridoo kind of sound. So it's like blowing into the branch and it's coming out this didgeridoo sound. Sounding the alarm because Marahute the golden eagle is caught in a hunter's trap. So cut to Cody, this little kid, he's probably like what, six or seven maybe? I'm bad with ages. I don't know. Let me just say that this is what Disney wanted the kid from the Badger movie to be. Yes. Yes he is. Because... He straight up talks to animals, and it's cool, and it's fine, and it's in a cartoon, so I can accept it as suspension of disbelief, because kids, Disney movies, you know, magic. Um, yeah, I'd say he's probably, yeah, anywhere from seven to nine. Okay. He hasn't quite hit double digits. Yeah. So we cut to Cody just straight up climbing a giant cliff. Like you do when you're nine years old. I mean, Australian kids, I don't know, maybe they're like... That's true, they are insane. This is the land of Hugh Jackman, so... (laughs) (laughs) He gets up there and then does a a show tune. He finds her caught in a trap and cuts her free. This golden eagle is in fact actually golden and also the size of a dinosaur. (laughs) Yeah, like pterodactyl size. Yeah. Golden eagles are fucking awesome. I've had the privilege of working with one. She was great. I loved her a lot. But they are brown with a little bit of goldish tint to their feathers, and they're about the size of a bald eagle, a little bit bigger. Yeah. So they're still very impressive birds, but they are not the size of a dinosaur, just for the record. This is Gandalf-sized eagle in this movie. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. And I literally looked at Katie and went, is this just the, the, the childhood of Gandalf at this point? Essentially. And really, it truly is, because once he cuts her free... She spreads her wings out and knocks him off the cliff, but then she swoops down and catches him, and he does, in fact, ride on her back like Gandalf rides on the eagles in Lord of the Rings. (laughs) This movie made soaring over water on a bird creature cool way before Harry Potter wrote a hippogriff. Yeah. It's essentially the exact same scene, but better. (laughs) Well, I mean, they do a straight-up water ski scene with it. He's not just on the back of the eagle. The eagle, like, drops him off under the water and, like, holds his arms and is like, yeah, we're now going to go water skiing and lets him go and he flies and then, like, picks him back up once he drops off the side of a waterfall. Yeah, he does, like, a Pocahontas dive off of this waterfall. You bring up Harry Potter, but this destroys Harry Potter as far as awesomeness. Yeah, and I'm going to do another music interlude here. 
this is another scene where the music is just so overpowering, but in the best way. Yeah, it's on point. It is a scene that wants that kind of music. So after we have our dramatic flight scene, she flies him to her nest, uh, which is hidden in the side of another cliff, and shows him that she has eggs there. Said no mother ever. Let me just bring this new friend I have and show him I have eggs. Listen, she trusts him. He has a special relationship with the animals. I'm not trying to be a downer here. I'm just looking at it going, plot. Hey, he saved your life. I don't know what more you want. Okay. So Cody asks where the daddy eagle is and she gets sad. He says that his dad is also gone. So they kind of like bond over that. It should be noted, Marahute is the one animal that doesn't speak in this. Which was kind of weird, but cool. But cool, yeah. It, like, it kind of gave her this ethereal quality. She couldn't just like, hey, yo, buddy, what's up? She yeah. just kind of had this mystery about her. And her animation is so accurate. The way she, like, fluffs her feathers up when he says something that she finds exciting. They obviously did a lot of research into Birds of Prey and how they react when they're feeling different ways because her animation is on point. It's yeah, really, really it. good. And you, funny enough, get to have that expertise to say that. I do. <laughs> Marahute drops him off back in the woods, and while he's heading back home, he comes across a mouse tied to a plant. As he starts untying the mouse, the mouse is like, no, 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 it's a trap, it's a trap! But it's too late. The ground gives out, and Cody falls into a deep hunter's pit. The mouse grabs a long vine and starts dropping it down over the side of the pit to help Cody climb out. But when Cody fell in this pit, it triggered a signal to Percival McLeach, who is a hunter who comes to see what he has caught. McLeach gets there before Cody can climb out and (laughs) holds his gun down in there for Cody to grab onto the barrel of the gun and then lifts him out. So, like, we're already starting off with a dude who is choice (laughs) just like making great decisions mcleach is joined by his monitor lizard joanna who spots the golden eagle feather on cody's backpack and loses her shit and is like let me have that backpack Mm -hmm. mcleach sees the feather as well and reveals that he kills the father and he wants cody to tell him where the female and the eggs are yeah cody of course is like no i'm not gonna do that so McLeach kidnaps him and throws his backpack into the river with the crocodiles to make it look like Cody has died. Like he's fallen into the river and been what eaten by crocodiles. What a classy guy. Yeah, this dude is just... He's a peach. The mouse that Cody saved immediately runs for help and an SOS starts going cross-continental. All of these mice in different countries are operating old planes and human computers, etc. to pass the message along. And the mice in Hawaii are of course wearing Hawaiian shirts because why wouldn't they be? Yeah, it's pretty baller. So the message makes it to the Rescue Aid Society. And the delegates all come together to come up with a plan to save the boy. But Bernard and Bianca, the delegates from the US and Hungary, are not there. Who were obviously the, the people they would choose to send. Obviously, they're the best ones. Right. We cut to a restaurant, and I don't know, I can't ask you this because you didn't really watch this movie much as a kid, but this scene stuck out to me more than anything. It's kind of like a Rube Goldberg machine of them making pea soup from a pea that fell to the floor from a human's food, from their dinner plate. These cockroaches pick it up and they run it through this whole process and then they make pea soup. 
and the pea soup goes out to Bernard and Bianca. So the two of them are out having dinner. It's a beautiful little candlelight dinner. They've got a Christmas light sticking up through their table as their little candle. Bernard is obviously super nervous, and it's because he's going to propose, but the ring falls out of his pocket, and a member of the restaurant staff, which, by the way, I find it hilarious that the restaurant staff were all cockroaches. Like, that was a nice touch. So one of these cockroaches brings Bianca a telegram while Bernard is looking for the ring. Then they have a classic miscommunication situation a la, like... Talking across purposes. Yeah, like 50s Dick Van Dyke kind of WandaVision episode one and two mix-up, where Bernard thinks that she is agreeing to marry him, but she is saying that they should go on this mission to Australia to save this kid. Yep. So they go to the delegate meeting, and she announces that they are accepting the mission to Australia, and he's like, what? What? I thought we were getting married. (laughs) Poor Bernard. The theme for this movie is poor Bernard. Yep. They head to the airport to hitch a ride with Orville, their old bird friend who acts as their plane as well. He's an albatross. But instead, they are greeted by his brother, Wilbur. And that's because the voice actor who did the voice of Orville has passed away by this point. Um, So rather than try to have somebody do an impression of him, they just introduced his brother, Wilbur, Mm -hmm. who is voiced by John Candy. Yay! I should also give a shout out to Bob Newhart and Ava Gabor, who voice Bernard and Bianca. They're amazing. They're so good. Bernard and Bianca secure themselves in a sardine can on uh, Wilbur's back and brave the horrible winter storm to go save Cody. They stow away in a 747 going to Australia. As the landing gear drops, they cannonball down towards the Sydney Opera House. Literally, he yells cannonball. Yes. Yes, he does. (laughs) So here we meet Jake, and he is an Australian mouse. And let's talk about how hot Jake is. He's basically Crocodile Dundee in mouse form. Essentially. I want to take another brief sidebar here. What is it with Disney wanting to make these, like, uncomfortably attractive anthropomorphic animals? (laughs) And mostly Disney does it for males. Warner Brothers does it for females. Yes, and I assume you are thinking of Lola Bunny. Yes, but they've done it in other, other cases. Who else are you thinking of? Who were your awkward animal attraction characters growing up? Because we all had them, whether people want to admit it or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, Avi, Lola, but she was late in my childhood. Oh, that's true. You would have been a little older by the time she came around. Yeah, I think they had one or two in uh, Tiny Toons. But I, off the top of my head, I can't remember. Oh, uh, Gadget. Oh, Gadget. Gadget. Yeah. 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 Also, maybe Gadget for me a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) But she had that androgynous thing going on. Yeah, she is cute. Let's be real. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Robin Hood is kind of the infamous one. I I haven't met a female that isn't into Robin. Yeah, I think it was kind of a big Tumblr awakening. Somebody posted like, is it just me or is Robin Hood creepily hot? And everybody was like, oh my god, me too. Yeah. Jake falls under that category for me. Shout out to Tristan Rogers, who is his voice actor, who is actually Australian. He was from General Hospital. It's the best thing he's known from here in the States. You know who also Jake reminds me of? Who? Clever Girl. Oh, yeah. I could totally see it. Yeah. He's definitely got Muldoon vibes to him for sure. Yeah. Jurassic Park, anybody who wasn't on, on that train. I mean, if you didn't get Clever Girl, stop listening to my podcast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love everyone. Please listen. <laughs> 
This just in, Disney Roulette Podcast, canceled. Please don't. The other one that was, like, creepily attractive, this is actually not Disney. This was a Don Bluth movie. Character named Justin, who is a rat in Secret of Nim. Again, largely the voice, but also kind of the sassy attitude that Robin Hood had. A lot of girls liked, um, is it Jake from American Tale? The sassy, like, older brother-ish... Oh, I don't remember. But you know who I'm talking about. I think I do. That was not one for me, but I think I yeah, know who you're talking about. a lot of girls about. loved him. Yeah. Anyway. So back off of anthropomorphic crushes. Yeah. So. Jake runs the airport out in the Outback. Their airport is not suited for something as big as an albatross. So he and his fly friend Sparky have to quick makeshift a really long runway for Wilbur to land. They manage to do it. Jake is immediately smitten with Bianca. And as they disembark, Wilbur throws out his back and has to get rushed to one of the creepiest hospitals ever on screen. <laughs> it's so creepy. It's filled with mouse nurses, who, by the way, were voiced by the same actress that voices Minnie Mouse. So imagine these little mouses dressed like nurse nuns that sound like Minnie Mouse. And they are doing things like filling up syringes with this mysterious green liquid. 300 milligrams. Loading them into a shotgun. Yeah, that was weird. And shooting a bird in the ass with it. <laughs> it's fucked up. It's so creepy. So we go to Jake and Bernard and Bianca. Jake is just absentmindedly fiddling with a boomerang like all Australians do, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, that's a Tuesday. And he volunteers to be their personal guide through the outback to help find the boy. And Bernard is thrilled about this because he is still at some point trying to propose to Bianca. So to start off, they hitch a ride on a flying squirrel. Flying squirrel or a sugar glider? They're the same thing, I think. Now I have to double check myself. Flying squirrel, sugar glider. Oh, they are not exactly the same. I didn't think so. Sugar gliders live in Australia. Flying squirrels live in North America. I stand corrected. I'm not even the animal person. <laughs> Tony. Tony is his name. Oh, yeah. Tony, you're right. Tony to pony. Oh, fun fact. The major difference between sugar gliders and flying squirrels is sugar gliders have a pouch. Because Australia. So they hitch a ride on a sugar glider. Bernard, who has been seated at the tail, gets flung off on the dismount and into a pile of burrs. Poor Bernard. Mm-hmm. We go to McLeach. He has Cody in front of a map of the Outback and is throwing knives at different areas around Cody's head, asking if Marahute is in any of those places. Super chill. Real cool. He's a cool I mean, guy. He threw the backpack in a crocodile thing, making his mother think that he's dead. And he's an illegal poacher. He has literally no morals. Yeah. Oh, also, another shout out. George C. Scott does the voice of McLeach, and he went all in the same way Jeremy Irons went all in for Scar. Yeah. He is just, like, chewing up the scenery in the best way. Yeah. Meanwhile, while all this stuff is happening with McLeach and Cody, Joanna is taking a warm bath like the princess that she is. <laughs> uh, the Disney princess that she is. That's a distinction. That's right. So Bianca helps get the burrs off of Bernard. Because Bianca's the best. She is. She's a sweetheart. He goes to ask her to propose, but then Jake and a snake pop out of the water. Bernard gets thrown into the water. Jake lassos the snake and then bosses him into being their ride. You're gonna listen. You're gonna listen good, kind of thing. 
and he and Bianca comfortably sit on the snake's head. Bernard grabs onto the tail as it passes and then pours the water out of his ring box and sulks. Poor Bernard. Poor Bernard. (laughs) So Cody gets thrown into a cage in a room with a bunch of other animals that McLeach has caught. He is sharing a cage with Frank the Neurotic Frilled Dragon. There's also a koala, a kangaroo, a platypus, kookaburras, snakes, and other Australian critters. This movie is a zookeeper's dream. Yeah. It's so good. They gather together some random items in the room and make a long pull to reach for the keys across the room. Major engineering. But unfortunately, Joanna catches them and destroys their pull. Frank, in desperation, sticks his tail into the lock and just starts twisting it around to try to pick the lock with his tail. We go back to the mice. Jake, Bernard, and Bianca are now riding on lightning bugs, and Bernard takes a dandelion to the face. Okay, I wanted to ride a lightning bug. That's awesome. I want one. Yeah, it looked really fun until the dandelion to the face. I mean, I obviously don't want a dandelion to the face, but... (laughs) Uh, Next, we go back to Wilbur. He wakes up in the hospital. The creepy nurses are hooking him up to an EKG, and... They toss the doctor a lot of creepy-sounding tools, including, quote, the epidermal tissue disruptor, which is a chainsaw. Yeah. And Wilbur tries to escape out a window, but they grab his legs, and when they yank on him, it actually cracks his back, and hooray, he's cured. His back is better, and then he gets the fuck out of Dodge. (laughs) Bye! Next, we see a park ranger present Cody's shredded backpack to his mom. And we hear a radio broadcast that authorities have called off the search for Cody. Yeah, which was a little awkward. Like, if he's handing that bag to her and, like, breaking the news to her and then has his radio up at full blast being like, we're calling off the search. This kid's dead. I was like, oh, buddy. (laughs) Maybe you want to turn that down before you break this news. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I get it was for us, the audience, but... (laughs) I didn't even think about that. That's pretty funny. Next, we get to my favorite scene as a kid, and it is the scene of Joanna stealing McLeach's eggs as he's trying to cook himself some eggs for dinner. We could have replaced this scene with Grogu. (laughs) Yeah, probably. (laughs) It's not really one I can describe to you. It's just good, old-fashioned... Physical comedy. I mean... Physical comedy. It's just so good. It is right up there with anything from Singing in the Rain and Make Them Laugh, and it's really well done. I've seen this movie a million times, and I laughed out loud at one point. It's just so well done. As Joanna is stealing all of McLeach's eggs, he has the revelation that the eggs are Cody's weak spot. So maybe if he implies that there's danger to the eggs, he can convince Cody to go there and then he'll find out where the eggs are. I have to say, as far as a hunter goes and manipulating, the man's a genius. Yeah, he's a master manipulator for sure. I give him evil maniacal applause as far as villains go. Frollo also does it in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, but that's another episode. Yeah. So Frank manages to get himself out of the cage and... He is in such despair, he doesn't even realize it. Once everybody else is like, Frank, you're out, you're out. They task him with getting the keys and... Look, he's he's ADHD. <laughs> you, you can't hold it against him that he didn't realize that he was already out of the cage. I mean... Baby, did you feel a special attachment to Frank? Did he resonate with you on a deeper level? <laughs> he was kind of my thing. <laughs> 
And next there's just more good classic physical comedy as Frank is trying to reach these keys. But again, Joanna comes in and she chases after him. At one point, he kind of lassos her and is riding on her back and he yells, Howdy, howdy, howdy. Howdy, howdy, howdy. And I'd be lying if I said that that phrase doesn't just randomly pop in my head on the regs. (laughs) Anything where somebody says howdy. Oh, I go to Toy Story for that. Immediately. No, I immediately go to Frank saying howdy, howdy, howdy. So while he is riding Joanna like a bucking bronco. He drops the keys close enough for Cody to reach them, and Cody unlocks his cage and gets out. Frank climbs onto a shotgun. So many guns. There's so many guns. Which Joanna manages to fire, but the kick knocks her back and into a box, and the buckshot manages to hit all around Frank, and he is safe. Cody goes to free all of the animals, but by then McLeach is there, probably because he heard the loud-ass gunshot, and grabs him. And then tells Frank to get back in his cage. And Frank, being the neurotic mess he is, is like, yes, sir! (laughs) And runs back in there. Bernard, Bianca, and Jake arrive just as McLeach is kicking Cody out and telling him the Golden Eagle is dead. So Cody is useless to him. Cody starts running off and McLeach's plan is going perfectly. He turns to Joanna and pulls the whole, man, what a shame for those eggs. Those babies will never survive without their mother. So Cody heads off to go check on the eggs, and McLeach follows him. The hero mice jump onto McLeach's truck, and after a lot of peril with the treads of the tank wheels, which is also super cool and well animated, yeah, they successfully hitch a ride in the undercarriage of the truck. Cody gets to the nest and puts some grass over the eggs to keep them warm. The hero mice catch up to him and warn him that McLeach is up on the cliff just as Marahute arrives. McLeach fires a fucking rocket at her. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> and it turns out to be a net in a rocket? Is that a thing? Nope, it's not a thing. Okay. That's some cartoon engineering right there. Okay, well, they went like full on Wile E. Coyote and yeah. hits her with a net in a rocket and catches her. Cody grabs onto the bag and Jake lassos Cody's foot and he and Bianca get pulled up with them. But Bernard doesn't get a grip on the rope, and he gets left behind. Cody starts to cut the ropes, but he's not quick enough. He, Marahute, Jake, and Bianca all get thrown in the cage in the back of the truck. Oh no, Cody! (laughs) That is an inside joke! No one's gonna get that but us! (laughs) (sighs) McLeach tells Joanna she can go eat the eagle eggs. He puts her in a harness and kicks her ass off over the cliffside. He lowers her down to the nest. She goes to bite one and breaks a tooth. What? Tries another one, also can't bite into Wait it. Wait a second. Yeah, what is going on? All three are too hard to eat. So instead, she's like, fuck this shit. Knocks them all off the side of the cliff just for fun. And tugs on the lead and then McLeach pulls her back up. Job accomplished. Yep. And then we see that Bernard has actually hidden the eggs under the grass of the nest and he has replaced them with rocks. Because he's a baller. Bernard is the best. I love Bernard so much. So the eggs are safe and sound. And then out of nowhere, Wilbur appears. I don't know how he knew how to find them there. I'm pretty sure that's a pretty big plot hole, but I don't care because I love this movie. (laughs) But Wilbur appears. He wants to go rescue Miss Bianca, but Bernard's like, hey, yo, buddy, I need your fluffy bird ass to sit on these eggs and keep them nice and warm and toasty. (laughs) Wilbur very reluctantly stays with the eggs to keep them warm. 
Back in the truck, Bianca tells Cody not to worry because Bernard will save them because Bernard is the best. Because Bianca has faith in Bernard. Yeah, like she appreciates Bernard for how great he truly is. And you're like, yeah, girl, he's the best. Bernard is at this point left way far behind. He's at least climbed the cliff, but he's so far behind the truck. As he's making his way, he stumbles across a wild hog. And he pulls a Jake and asserts himself, grabs it by the horn, shakes it, and is like, you're going to listen to me. You're going to be my my ride to go save these people. And the hog's like, oh shit, okay, buddy, sure. And Bernard hitches a ride on the hog. McLeach has parked right next to the river. He has Cody tied to a crane and is dangling him over the river to feed some crocodiles for dinner. Just as Cody is about to become crocodile food, the power on the truck goes out. It turns out Bernard has stolen the keys and the wild hog, which they call a razorback, runs out of the truck as a distraction. Bernard tosses the keys up to Jake and Bianca and they start to climb the keys up the outside of the mesh like some kind of survivor team challenge. <laughs> like they have well to, done. Yeah, they have to like climb up the mesh and like slowly move the keys up on the outside of the mesh until they get to the lock up the top. McLeach starts shooting at Cody's line to just cut the line. Bernard runs up to Joanna, fucking kicks her in the face like a badass, and runs off toward McLeach. Joanna jumps on McLeach while chasing Bernard and makes him lose his balance. So he's kind of like teetering on the end of the cliff. Bernard, the badass motherfucker, takes one finger and pushes on McLeach's shoe. and Yeah, he bugs Bunny that shit. Yep, pushes his ass into the crocodile-infested waters. Fuck yeah, Bernard! That's my dude! Going back to uh, Atlantis, uh, that's another hero who actually undoes the bad guy. I thought that, but also McLeach fucks himself a little bit. I mean, he puts himself in a bad situation. Well, he has the opportunity to save himself and he doesn't because he's too big. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Cody's line breaks and he falls in the water. Bernard immediately dives in after him. He grabs the line and wraps it around a tree root on the side of the river. Meanwhile, crocodiles start to swarm McLeach, but they eventually back off. And he gets all prideful and victorious, like, yeah, fuck off. I'm a badass because he's like been smacking them with his bag or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because that'll, that'll keep crocodiles off. Yeah. But then he passes Joanna, and she is sitting on the side of the river, and she just slowly waves goodbye to him. And it turns out the crocs left because he's about to go over a giant fucking waterfall. Bye-bye! Bye, bitch! McLeach goes over the end of the waterfall. Dudesy McLeach is dead. Out. So yes, Bernard pushed him in the water, but also he could have swam to the side and saved himself, but he didn't because he was a prideful yeah. dick. And then Joanna, every other moment in this movie, does he treat Joanna with any respect, with any care? No, he treats her like no. shit. So she's like, fuck you, bye. Bye, dude. We go back to Bernard and Cody. The root breaks and they go over the waterfall too. And you're like, oh my God, no! But just as they do, Bianca and Jake manage to get the key to the lock and they pop it open. Marahute busts out of the cage and flies down and catches them before they hit the bottom of the falls. The second they are safe on Marahute's back, Bernard's like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Give me five minutes. Will you please fucking marry me? <laughs> yeah. 
And Bianca, of course, says yes, because he's wonderful and she loves him. And Jake, who's obviously been smitten with her this whole movie and kind of trying to romance her, is just like, good on you, buddy. I'm happy for you. So even Jake is like, not a douche. He's a cool guy. And the group flies off into the night. And then we just cut to this kind of silhouetted shot of the valley. And we see that it's where the nest is. We can't see Wilbur, but we hear his voice. He's still kind of sitting on the eggs like, hey, is uh, anybody coming back? And then the eggs begin to hatch and he starts panicking and then he throws his back out <laughs> again. And that's oh, how the movie Oh, is that what ends. happened? I yeah. thought they, uh, I thought the baby eagles pinched him or something. No, he threw his back out after the eggs started hatching. Oh. That's it. That's how the movie ends. Yep. I'm really surprised that they didn't, try and make it a TV series. And maybe that's where Rescue Rangers came from? Because it's basically the same premise. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, definitely very similar for sure. I don't know. That's a good point. So, Bob, on a scale of one to five wombat asses, <laughs> oh, what would you give gosh, the rescuers is, down under? That is such a currency to delve into. Um... <laughs> Uh, it's interesting because I've actively been trying to think about where this lands on my scale. Um, I, I have to give it definite props for when it was made because the cinematography, the artistry, the straight up production value of this movie is stellar for its time. The characters are well thought out. As I said, you know, McLeach even, like, as a villain, he is a genius as far as manipulation, and he's a dick, but he's intelligent. Yeah, his pride gets him in the end, but he's he's a quality character. As far as a rating goes, I, I gotta give it a 4.5. Nice. I'm sad that I didn't know this movie as a kid, but I, I'm glad that I see it now when I can appreciate it for what it is. Because I probably would have just thrown it off as, eh, it's another cartoon movie, blah, blah, blah. But I can see the the merit in this movie, and, and it's a beautiful movie. And I agree with you, the score is well done. There's no down points to this. Is it in my top five? Probably not. But still quality. I think this one, for me, might actually be a five star. Mm. Like I, I mean... Coming from you, that's not surprising. Yeah, like, I love it a lot. And it is certainly, like I said, it's a zookeeper's dream. There are just yep. so many cool animals, and they went so far out of their way to stay really accurate to how the animals move. It's kind of hard to compare to something like Beauty and the Beast or The Little Mermaid, because it's not that kind of movie. It's no. one of only two movies that came out during the Disney Renaissance that's not a musical. The other one being Tarzan. And Tarzan even is almost a musical. It at least has like lyrical songs in it. Right. And this one doesn't. This kind of has much more of the air of a Don Bluth movie than it does. Absolutely. A Disney movie. But I think for what it set out to be, I don't know how to make it any better. Yeah. I mean, modern animation. Cool. We can update some CG. We can like do that. But like outside of that, for its time made... It's, it's well done. Yeah, and it's also really short, but I think that's not bad. There's no fat to trim on it. 
I think it is exactly what it needs to be. I think any more, and you're going to go into the trope of uh, Bernard and Jake having a feud or, like, things right. like that. Like, like, there's no fat to trim. It's just a good, solid, perfectly executed, beautifully scored, beautifully animated movie. And I gotta give it five stars. I feel like such a sellout because I'm giving out so many five stars, but we've lucked out so well on our rolls for the last like two months that we've just happened to hit a lot of my personal favorites and this is one of them oh we got a roll for next week uh it's your turn yeah or yeah. no you rolled for this did i i think so okay. i think i gushed it's at you for you rolling so well or maybe it was me i don't remember you just roll you take it i trust in you all right here we go Three fifty-two. Three fifty-two. Whatever it was. Oh my, Watson! <laughs> he is not happy about that number. Uh, this I think is going to be another short thing. It's the incredible Doctor Pole Jingle Poles. Oh well, I'll tell you, I despise a Christmas special because they always suck. <laughs> hey, now you're supposed to go in with an open mind. Oh, I'll go into it with an open mind that it's going to suck. <laughs> okay. The Incredible Dr. Pole is some kind of National Geographic documentary thingy. Mm-hmm. And this one is, in fact, only 45 minutes long. And all it says is Nat Geo Wild rejoins the poles in central Michigan as they get into the Christmas spirit. So I'm going to need you to go ahead and roll again because I have a feeling we're not going to be able to make a whole episode out of that. All right. Here we go. 228. All right. 228. Oh, I have not seen this one. Mm. Finding Dory. Oh, no, I haven't either. I am really intrigued to watch this movie. I've been curious, but also kind of dreading it. We'll go into why in the next episode. How about that? Okay, so we hope you guys will join us in two weeks for our next film review adventure of The Incredible Dr. Pole Jingle Poles <laughs> and Finding Dory. In the meantime, like us on Facebook at Disney Plus Roulette Podcast. And follow us on Twitter at Disney Roulette. We're on Instagram and TikTok at Disney Roulette Pod. Or you can shoot us an email the old-fashioned way at Disney Roulette Podcast at gmail.com If you'd like to support the show, you can donate at browsehousemedia.com or just drop a rating and a review on your podcast app of choice. You guys, I didn't make it all the way through third grade for nothing. <laughs>